Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's November 6th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. The media sector has been rocked by some tough news this year. We've seen the closure of Today FM, the canning of the project, restructuring at major news providers and a staggering report that MediaWorks faces an uncertain future. There are now even concerns that cracks are starting to show in radio listenership. This comes after two decades during which media companies have seen their business model absolutely disrupted by big tech. Newsrooms have contracted while the balance sheets of Google and Meta have ballooned. So why are media companies struggling so much right now? And what does the future hold for the fourth estate? Today, on the front page, Duncan Grieve, founder of the spin-off and host of media industry podcast The Fold, is on the front page to discuss what comes next for the storytellers in New Zealand's newsrooms. Duncan, we faced a long wait for the financial records of MediaWorks, and when they arrived, it made for worrying headlines. RNZ reported that the firm faced a significant doubt about operating beyond 2025. So how seriously can we take this? How dire were these financial results? Some of the headline numbers, you know, sort of nine-figure losses are sort of unimaginably troubling. My working assumption is that, uh, without having gone into them in too much detail, is that a lot of that will be writing down the value of some assets, uh, which doesn't materially impact your financial decision. But obviously, it's not a great situation when you are losing money and you're sort of forecasting that the overall business is not worth as much as it was. You know, Wendy Palmer, the new MediaWorks CEO, has said reports of our demise are greatly exaggerated. That's something all media companies have to both operate their businesses and also kind of put on a brave face to sell to advertisers. But Daniel Dunkley, you know, one of your colleagues at Business Desk, did a fantastic sort of history of MediaWorks post-2007. And this is a company that's always had issues where it's been owned by private equity and it's had far too much debt. And it still sort of feels like that problem with a not great set of ownership and too much debt costs are, are still bedeviling the company. So while there are some great brands there, there's, there's definitely some fundamental issues that have not been solved in 15 years. Today FM was obviously operating in the radio space, but it isn't only the commercial media that's struggling. We've seen RNZ's ratings also show some wobbles. So is that a worrying sign, given that radio has long been viewed as the cockroach of the media industry? Today FM... One of the reasons they cited for its closure was it lost a million dollars. This is in a business that's turning over 200 million and Today FM was a huge bet on its future. So if you have a, a new venture that is designed to take on a really powerful incumbent like News Talk ZB and you can't sustain a million dollars in losses while you sort of build out the business around it, then that, you know, much like the closure of the project, which we'll talk about soon, that, that sort of tells you just how tightly wound a company is. Because in an ideal world, you'd be able to use profits from other parts of the business to fund an experiment that you hope will pay dividends in future, like Today FM. They had recruited incredibly well. They had a great brand. There was a lot of goodwill towards it. And for you to set it on fire in that way, in a way that almost guaranteed that it would have your hosts on air lambasting it and which is the worst possible situation for any media brand what's the deal it sounds like it's over so we haven't been given a chance we've been on air for just a year we were told that we had the support of everyone and they have us 
and we're all going to lose our jobs and the station is coming off air. As of what? As of today? I don't know. This is betrayal. It does tell you just how troubled MediaWorks was at the time and probably still is. I do remember working in the magazine industry years ago, hearing RNZ complaining about its funding being stagnant and staying the same over a period of time. And I remember thinking, what privilege to have that position, that financial position to have your revenue stay stable over that period of time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, RNZ seems more troubled from a ratings perspective than the sector more broadly. And in part, that's potentially because its audience is widely perceived to be a bit older. So... You know, maybe they're suffering some sort of attrition decline associated with mortality, to put it politely. But, you know, RNZ has a basket of problems, which are, you know, declining radio audience, a fairly static online audience, and a real sort of diversity problem with its audiences in, in all spheres. The one problem it doesn't have is financial. So it was just given $20 million, a near 50% increase in its budget by Willie Jackson. National haven't said either way whether that will continue, but they haven't signaled that they'll take it away either. So while RNZ is challenged, every other company operating in media in the private sector would crawl over broken glass for that challenge. Duncan, you've reported quite extensively on the media consumption habits of younger New Zealanders over the years. Now, it's a bit worrying because they seem so glued to that international content. And yet we have seen these experiments where there has been an attempt to attract younger people to what would be quite a traditional platform. The project would be a really good example of that. And we saw that cancelled recently. You know, if I was to score this project, I'd give it an A+. plus. Oh, <laughs> I just, uh, yeah. just hope Warner Brothers Discovery can uh, forge on and get over this. Yeah, hope they survive. Uh, <laughs> we still have plenty more great shows to come before the end of the year. And then stay tuned for my OnlyFans. <laughs> What do you think went wrong there? Is it just becoming too expensive to make these shows and they aren't delivering enough audience? What's the problem? As with newspaper groups, linear television, while there are continuing year-on-year audience declines and there are high fixed costs, which don't change or, if anything, increase somewhat, the advertising is, is predicated on a particular size of audience. And there's been a little bit of motion there in terms of what you, you know, how much you pay for a thousand audience members or, or access to them. But fundamentally, there's an inflection point that comes where, say the project costs $10 million to make. That's not how much it costs. That's just a, a number out of the sky. But you can only, you know, historically you might have made $15 million from wrapping advertising around it, and now you're only making eight. That's basically the kind of calculus which I imagine has driven this decision. And you'll see that all over the media. The problem is, and you know, this is where I would tip my hat to NZME, which has, I think, done the best job of creating revenue streams out of digital audiences. You have to find a way to move not just audiences, but also revenue from your your legacy platform. You know, in NZME's case, it's the New Zealand Herald, to a digital platform. And that's easier in some spaces than others. You know, like the project, because it operates within a video space, the natural places for viewing video aren't standalone, sort of, it wouldn't be a, the project.co.nz, it's probably YouTube. And there's just a different kind of revenue model there. So 
you know, that's where Sarah Bristow, the outgoing News Hub executive, signaled that we are going to try and make a more digital first product. I would assume that's going to sort of flood the zone with a bit more content and then just sort of wrap that up into something for 730. That's not going to be easy, but it's absolutely the right thing to do. Make sure to follow the front page wherever you listen to podcasts. And for top tips, stories, and the best of TV, books, movies, and culture, be sure to investigate the ups and downs of entertainment at nzherald.co.nz. Entertainment news shows like The Project and Seven Sharp were already seen as a step down in terms of that hardcore journalism that we've seen in the past in those 7pm slots. Is there still room for that hard-hitting original journalism or do you think it'll just become more uncommon as we progress? It's an interesting one, right? Like Jack Tame's Q&A interviews, you know, which are really crafted, you know, that's the sort of relatively uncommon luxury now is he spends most of a week prepping for a couple of interviews and gives incredible performances. And those often actually have a big life online. So in some ways, even though that's quite an old school approach, you are seeing that there is still demand for it and consequently uh, revenue uh, opportunities there. But for whatever reason, the cyclical fashion for 7pm shows has moved away from that style. Alex Casey wrote a terrific history of the 7pm current affairs show for the spin-off this week in the aftermath of the Project News and described some of the sort of early current affairs shows on TVNZ in the 60s and they honestly sound a lot like the Project. More people, places and happenings, this dear lady had quite definite ideas on the design of the new decimal currency notes. It could be a little bit of New Zealand in it, don't you think so? Well, we've got the New Zealand bird, isn't it? Yes, I know. I still like to see a kiwi. These things do tend to move in cycles. It's not necessarily true to say that we will never go back to having newsmakers sat down at 7pm under hot lights and grilled, but certainly there isn't a lot of energy or motion in that place right now. And in any case, 7pm is just not what it was in terms of the centre of the kind of socio-cultural political universe the way it was. So whatever replaces it won't be there primarily. It'll probably be in in digital platforms too. In terms of that harder-hitting journalism, we have also seen another round of redundancies at the Herald and stuff. How concerning is that? It is concerning. Redundancies are always painful for the individuals involved and the organisations that are left behind that are sort of trying to fulfil the same mission with less people alongside them. But it's also, this has been every year, right? I can't imagine that either organisation has gone a year without having rounds of redundancies since about 2010 doesn't mean that they're not hiring and a lot of this is trying to figure out what's the correct form for your business what do you need in terms of people and structure as we go into this destabilizing new realm the data is not always public and the reporting sometimes you know if it's journalists you tend to hear about it but if it's sort of ad sales people or printers you might not hear about it for example so you don't have a really firm sense it's this many people from this organization But the vibe is bad. The vibe is that media has had, after a few sort of years where things were stable, it's come back this year. So the number of journalists employed in New Zealand feels like it will be less at the start of 24 than it was at 23. And if that's a problem to you, and I think it should be, then yeah, we've got issues. During COVID, we did have those wage subsidies and we did see the government invest quite heavily in public service announcements. Masks matter. The closer you are to others, the bigger the risk of catching or spreading COVID-19 or flu. 
To protect yourself and others, wear a mask whenever you're in crowded places or close to others indoors. Do you think that that papered over some of the cracks for media? Absolutely. The COVID-19 campaign itself was over $100 million and a huge proportion of that, which I'm actually still asking the ombudsman for the breakdown of where exactly that went, but a huge proportion of that went to the major media organisations, TVNZ, NZME, Stuff, Warner Brothers Discovery and MediaWorks. On some level, it was an indirect subsidy. It was an acknowledgement of the importance of news organisations through the COVID period. And it was also an important public health campaign. And there was a lot more besides, you know, that there's just been a huge increase in the volume of government advertising over the last period. Certainly, it doesn't feel like that's going to continue. And that absence is being felt everywhere in the broader media industry. You've long been critical of the way that content is funded in New Zealand. Is there any suggestion you've seen from National Act or NZ First that that could change? Not really. I think that you're going from an administration that is extremely interested in media and content and culture to one which is largely disinterested in it. What that means is, you know, I was at a New Zealand On Air music event on Wednesday and they talked about wanting greater investment. Paul Goldsmith and Melissa Lee were in the crowd, you know, incoming national ministers probably. And I just don't rate anyone's chances of getting more investment. What I think they're probably better off doing is asking for a kind of structural reform which better reflects the contemporary reality. Maybe changing the legislation and some of the mandates, that is probably going to get better outcomes for the industry as it stands now and where it's headed than trying to get more money out of a government that's going to be looking to save it wherever it can. We are also seeing the tone and the treatment of journalists shifting a little bit. So Winston Peters has long had quite a combative relationship with the media How worrying is it that someone as prominent as him can show such disdain for a key pillar of our democracy? It it is worrying because every election, more than 90% of New Zealanders don't get up and they don't vote for Winston Peters. But there is a a non-trivial minority who think that he's probably the only honest guy in Parliament. When he makes these kind of extraordinary comments about journalists and journalism. You saw that most prominently in his interview with Jack Tame on Q&A during the campaign. For us to make sure we get the broadcasting portfolio after this election. Is that a threat, Mr Peters? (laughs) No, it's not a threat. It's a promise that you're going to have an operation that's much more improved than what it is now. It's just an idea. Thank you for your time. Good luck in the campaign. Yeah, well, I believe that, Jack, like I believe half the other bulldust you just said. It serves to reinforce this conception, which is a big international kind of meme over the past few years that journalists and news organisations are sort of reinforcing the positions of a particular group or elite. That's not entirely baseless. Like, let's be honest, like journalism has tried to grapple with this era and it's done some great things. It's done some things which, you know, probably with hindsight, if we had the opportunity, we'd do them differently. But certainly it's nowhere near the problem that Winston Peters has characterised. And so to have someone in office with that view, or at least, you know, whether he does he really deeply hold it, who knows? You know, I think that's an issue. On the flip side, their broadcasting spokesperson is Jenny Marcroft, who was actually working at Today FM when it was shut down. And I would say of everyone in Parliament knows the most about what the current kind of travails of the media are. So it's not a lost cause and there is a lot of potential upside in the incoming government as well. What do you make of Christopher Luxon's relationship with the media? Because he has had some prickly moments over the last little bit. 
Whenever you have an incoming opposition leader, they are going to be tested by media. When you have one as green as Luxon, as, as an MP, let alone as leader, they're going to have missteps. I think, broadly speaking, the sort of the heat of the campaign made it seem like a more combative or, or difficult relationship than I think it's likely to be. There's also a kind of a natural honeymoon bedding in period of a new prime minister. My own gut instinct, completely unqualified opinion, is that Luxon is probably going to be a different and potentially better prime minister than he was a campaigning opposition leader, just temperamentally. The CEO is used to a particular set of circumstances that are much more like that of being prime minister than they are of being opposition leader. I don't think there's much of an issue there, but obviously we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Duncan, the commercial model underpinning media seems to have some big issues. Media companies have tried to solve this for the past two decades, but we continue to see newsrooms contract. So do you think that there's any way that this problem can be solved? I mean, there was a sort of a, a clue in the question there where you talked about the media and then you talked about news organisations. News organisations are only a subset of media. There are aspects of media which are less impacted. You know, anything that was funded by New Zealand On Air, New Zealand On Air retains its budget. That That's not shrinking. In fact, that's sort of expanded somewhat over the last six years. Maybe it will continue to. But if you think about the overall shape of New Zealand's media, including the subset that is news media, it was historically almost entirely funded by advertising, with the exception of Sky, which had a huge subscription base to it as well. The advertising market is now increasingly dominated by huge digital platforms, some of which should really be more. And, and you know, the, the spend that happens on Google search is much more like rent than it is like marketing in some respects. So I sometimes think that the scale of the market or what the functions of these things are can be obscured. But there's no denying that the overall pool of funding, whether it comes through advertising or any other means that goes into New Zealand's local media, which employs people and creates news and entertainment and culture on behalf of this country, that's shrinking, that is going to keep shrinking, unless a politician comes in and starts to make significant legislative changes, they can expect to stand there and watch this thing kind of contort and sort of shrink right in front of their eyes. And that's not a great story for those of us who work in the media or who love what it puts out. But unless I'm wrong, and I could be, but there's two decades of evidence for this that I think is going to be the story absent a step change in the way that we deal with the technology platforms. Thanks for joining us, Duncan. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.